الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله تعالى today we're going to start the explanation of the kitab الأرجوزة المئية في ذكر حال أشرف البرية written by the great Imam Ibn Abil Iz al-Hanafi rahimahullah but before I start, I want to go through three introductions which will be very fast and summarized, insha'Allah ta'ala. The first thing I want to start by saying is that the importance of studying the Prophet sallallahu biography. And that is what this book focuses on. It is talking about the Prophet sallallahu his biography. Studying the Prophet sallallahu biography has many benefits. And there are great things a person will reap from studying the Prophet Sallallahu biography. And the benefits that you attain are worldly benefits and you'll also benefit regarding your hereafter affairs. Yani, studying the Prophet Sallallahu biography in this world, it will benefit you because you will learn and study the life of a perfect person, an infallible individual. So you're going to learn how to maneuver in this corrupt world. So you'll benefit in that regard. And you'll also benefit because following him and taking his path is what's going to take you to Jannah and is what's going to put you in the highest levels of Jannah. The Prophet he's a role model for us. As Allah said in the Quran, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا Verily, in the Prophet is a role model. He is a uswatun hasana. He's a role model for us. لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُوا اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرَ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا If you are hoping for the day of judgment and you also want to attain Allah's happiness subhanahu wa ta'ala and His forgiveness, then you must uh, follow the Prophet's path alayhi salatu wasalam. Also, the Prophet studying his biography is one of the ways to attain the love of the Prophet And if a person doesn't have the love of the Prophet in his heart, then it shows a deficiency in their iman. As the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the hadith, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من ولده ووالده والناس أجمعين. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, that a person is not a true believer until I become more beloved to them than their children and their parents and every single body. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, loving him, the way you can attain it is studying his biography, Alayhi Salatu Wasallam. And the great scholars of Al-Islam, Qadiman wa Haditha, the early scholars of Al-Islam, and the latter scholars of Al-Islam, all have written regarding the Prophet's biography. They've written in poetic forms, they've written, in, they've written it in poetic forms, and they've also written it in uh, normal authorship. And some of them have summarized the life of the Prophet and written in summary, and some scholars have gone in great details regarding the Prophet's biography and his life. This kitab that we have in front of us, which is the second introduction I want to now go into, it's a kitab, Qusida fiha bil ikhtisar. The author here, he intended to summarize. Al ikhtisar wal ijaz. He wants to summarize and, and abridge the life of the Prophet. He doesn't want to go into great details. And the kitab is like an introduction. For the person who wants to study the Prophet's biography, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the, one of the unique things about this book 
is that it gives you the chronological order of how the events took place in the Prophet's life So we learn what time did he have this child, what time did he participate in this battle, what time was, did he marry this wife and etc. So you learn the chronological order in which or the sequence in which the events unraveled for the Prophet or at his time. This kitab is called Al-Urjuzah Al-Mi'iyah. And the reason why the author called it uh, Al-Mi'iyah is because it's a hundred lines. Al-Mi'iyah comes from the word Mi'ah. And the Arabs tend to do that. They take a word Mi'ah and they turn it into, or they, use, they make it into Mi'iyah. Like they do with the word Sifa. The, the Arabs, they take the word Sifa and they, they refer to it and they say Sifiyah. The Arabs tend to do that. And also there's a qira'ah, the, the riwayah of, the, the of uh, Hisham an, Abi, an Ibn Amirin. Amir yani Imam Ahlisham. Wa amma Dimashku Shami Dar Ibn Amirin. Fatilka bi Abdullah Tabat Muhallala. Ibn Hisham has two people who narrated from him. One is Hisham ibn Ammar. And Hisham ibn Ammar is riwayah fi qawlihi ta'ala. Fajal afida tamina nasi tahwi ilayhim. He read as afidatan afidatan mi'iyah mi'iyatan it's the same it's that form in which the arabs follow this kitab its poetry form or the rhythm is called bahrul rajaz it's bahrul rajaz wa huwa bahr min buhur al-shi'r is one of the forms of poetry that the scholars used to author their works in and it is mustaf'ilun six times so mustaf'ilun, 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 six times. The third introduction that I want to go into, inshallah ta'ala, is this book, the author who wrote it is Al-Imam Al-Qadi, Ali ibn Ali ibn Muhammad ibn Abi al-Iz al-Dimashqi al-Hanafi, who was born the year 796 Hijriya, rahimahullah. So he's kunya, he's kunya, is Abu Hassan. That's his kunya. His kunya is Abu Hassan. And his nickname, kunya means when you get named after a child. Whether you had that child or not, it doesn't matter. The Arabs generally call themselves Abu this. So his kunya was Abu Hassan. And his nickname, his nickname that was given to him was Sadruddin. And you find this a lot. Taqiyuddin, Sharafuddin, Nasiruddin, and etc. So his one was Sadruddin. That was his nickname. And his kunya was Abu Hassan, and he's Nasab, and he's he's ascribed to he's the land he's ascribed to is a Dimashqi, he's from Dimashq, and he is a Salihi, uh, and a Salihi is a Mawdi' Qaribun min a Dimashq. It's a place which is very close to Damascus, and his Madhab that he followed in Fiqh is Hanafi, so he, he followed the Hanafi Fiqh, he followed the Hanafi Fiqh. This great Imam, he from a ch- from childhood, Nasha'a, he grew up Mundu uh, He grew up in a knowledge environment from a very young age. His parents nurtured him upon Islam. And that is why I say every single parent out there give a lot of importance to, to nurturing your children uh, knowledge when they are young. And he nurture them upon knowledge whilst they are young. Because because learning knowledge when you're young is like carving into a rock. 
you see. But when you grow older, if you try to learn, it's like writing in water. And you can't write inside on water. We're not saying that a person can't learn when they are old. No, they can. Ibrahim al-Harbiyu, who is min ruwati, I mean, ashabi Imam Ahmed, from the students of Imam Ahmed. Ibrahim al-Harbi, it was said that anahu talab al-ilma, he sought knowledge بعد سبعين after uh, the age of 40. That's when he sought knowledge, after that. And he is uh, one of the narrators of the madhab of Al-Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah. So you can seek knowledge when you grow older, but it's, uh, it is highly recommended that you start it when you are very young. So he grew up at a young age, seeking Islamic knowledge in a household where his parents gave importance to knowledge, a virtuous household he came from. And he was nurtured upon loving knowledge and taking knowledge from its people. So he benefited from the scholars of uh, his time. From the scholars in which he benefited from is Al-Imam Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir was his teacher. Ibn Kathir, you all know him, the author of the tafsir and also the author of the kitab Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya. Okay? Al-Bidaya wa Nihaya. And he has many other books. Ikhtisar ulum al-Hadith and many other books Ibn Kathir has. So he benefited from him many. And rather if you go to Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi, the author of this kitab, al the book that we're studying, the author of this book, he quotes uh, Ibn Kathir in many, of, uh, in many places, at least three places I came across in his Sharh of Aqeedah al-Tahawiyah. He has a Sharh on Aqeedah al-Tahawiyah, Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi. He quotes Ibn Kathir three times. And he refers to him and he says, Shaykhuna, our Shaykh. He refers to him as Shaykhuna and he says, our Shaykh, Al-Shaykh Rimaduddin Ibn Kathir. So he says, Shaykhuna, Al-Shaykh Rimaduddin Ibn Kathir. So he praises him and he loves him. So he benefited from him. Rather, now it pushes me to the third point, inshallah, that I want to speak about before we start. Before I move on to the third point, before I move on to it, uh, Ibn Abi al Hanafi, he was a great scholar. He took many positions uh, uh, as a scholar, yeah, and he was a qadi, he was a jurist, he was a, sorry, he was a judge, okay, he was a, a judge, and uh, he also took positions in teaching, there were many schools at that time, he taught, and those schools, if you wanted to teach, you had to have a lot of Islamic knowledge, you had to have a lot of Islamic knowledge, you had to be grounded in many sciences, so he was grounded in many sciences, rahimahullahu, uh, and um, he has many students. From his students is Imam al-Sakhawi. Imam al-Sakhawi is one of the students of Ibn Abi al-Izz al-Hanafi. Anyways, Ibn Abi al-Izz al-Hanafi, rahimahullah, as any other scholar or many scholars that we know and we read their biography, he was tested, rahimahullah, because Ibn Abi al-Izz al-Hanafi, he had aqeedah ahl al-sunnah wal-jama'ah. His aqeedah was aqeedah al-salafiyya al-athari. His aqeedah was correct. And he didn't fall into the deviation of the Asha'ira and those who follow their path. So because of that, he, felt he went through a mihna, a trouble and an issue. And he was even in prison. Four months he was put in prison and he was stripped from his position because accusations were made against him. From the accusations that were made against him was that he doesn't like the Prophet ﷺ. He's against the Prophet ﷺ. Um, he doesn't believe the Prophet ﷺ is infallible and etc. And this angered the scholars of Egypt at that time. That's where the uh, imprisonment happened to him in. And this led to him being imprisoned for four months. 
consecutively. And Ibn Abi al al Hanafi was one of the greatest supporters of Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah. And Ibn Taymiyyah was, he was not discussed and people avoided he, him because Ibn Taymiyyah was seen uh, to a lot of these deviated groups as an heresy, a heretic person. So Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, anyone who defended him was always going to get in trouble. As you know, Ibn Taymiyyah died in prison. So, Ibn Abi al-Izz defended Ibn Taymiyyah, loved and appreciated the works of Ibn Taymiyyah. And if you look at his Aqidah to Tahawi, the Sharah he placed on it, he quotes Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Al-Qayyim without referencing them. And he uses their works without referencing them. And the scholars, they mention why he did that is because re- mentioning Ibn Taymiyyah was something that a person couldn't do at that time. Now, inshaAllah ta'ala, I'm going to go and speak about the last point, inshaAllah ta'ala, which is the um, the kitab uh, that is in front of us inshallah ta'ala this kitab as i mentioned is called urjuzatul mi'iyya fi dhikr hali ashraf al-bariyam it's a hundred lines of poetry and the author rahimahullah he it seems like wal ilmu indallah it seems like that it's a summary or a f- poetry of the kitab written by ibn kathir rahimahullah and Ibn Kathir has a kitab called Al-Fusul Fi Sirat Al-Rasul. It seems like Ibn Abi Al-Izz Al-Hanafi copied his teacher's book and made it into poetry. Even though he says, وَبَعْدُهَا كَسِيرَةَ الرَّسُولِ مَنْظُومَةً مُوْجَزَةَ الْفُصُولِ Does he mean Fusuli here, Al-Fusul Fi Sirat Al-Rasul by Ibn Kathir? Does he mean that or does he just mean that it has chapters and units? Allahu Alam. But, if you do study the Al-Fusul Fi Sirat Al-Rasul by Ibn Kathir and you look at Urjuzatul Mi'i and you compare the two, you see that Ibn Abi Al-Izz definitely benefited from uh, Ibn Kathir Rahimahullah. If that book is not considered to be his poetry, then it's definitely benefited from and it was utilized greatly. So now, inshaAllah ta'ala, without any further ado, we're going to start bi-idhnillahi, bi-idhnillahi al-kareem. Naam. The author, rahimahullah, he started his book by saying, Alhamdulillah, all praises for Allah. Al-Qadim al-Bari, the eternal. Al-Bariyu means the maker. Thumma salatuhu. Um, after that, salutation is upon al-Mukhtari, the chosen one. Yani the one that the Prophet, yani the one that was chosen by Allah Azza wa Jalla, yani the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the author started by saying, Alhamdulillah, praises to Allah. And the word Alhamdulillah, it means to praise Allah. Tabarak wa ta'ala. Lillahi, it's for Allah. Praises for Allah. Al-Qadimi. The author here used the word Al-Qadim instead of using a better word which is Al-Awwal. Because the word Al-Qadim is not from the names of Allah. Al-Qadim is not from the names of Allah. Lakin Al-Awwal is from the names of Allah. And the author is referring to Al-Awwal here. And the first. To use the word Qadim is not good. It's best to avoid it. But some scholars, they said you can because this is Minbab al-Ikhbar. 
And Babul Ikhbar, when you're talking about Allah and you're not attributing a name to Him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're talking about Him, then they say, Babul Ikhbar, you are allowed to use it. You're allowed to use it. And he himself, Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi, in the Sharh of Aqidah al-Tahawiyah, he has a long discussion regarding, regarding the term Al-Qadim. He actually talks about it uh, there. And then the term Al-Bari, the author used, Rahimahullah. The word Al-Bari means the maker, Al-Khaliqu lil-Makhluqat. The one who made the creation. The one who made the creation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who made the creation. Some of the copies, it doesn't have the word Al-Qadim. It doesn't. It doesn't have Alhamdulillah Al-Qadim Al-Bari. It has Alhamdulillah Al-Qadir Al-Bari. Qadir. Instead of Qadim. And that one is actually even better to use. To say Al-Qadir. Uh, um, the one who has the ultimate power and strength. Naam. The author then says, وَبَعْدُ to proceed. The word وَبَعْدُ, it means to proceed. Um, the term وَبَعْدُ is كَلِمَةٌ يُؤْتَى بِهَا لِلْفَصْلِ بَيْنَ مُقَدِّمَةِ الْكَلَامِ وَمَوْضُوعِهِ The word وَبَعْدُ is used to distinguish between the introduction and the, 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 new, the new thing that you're going to say. And when you say, إِنَّ الْحَمْدِ لِلَّهِ نَحْمَدُ وَنَسْتَعِينُ وَنَسْتَغْفِرُ أَمَّا بَعْدُ means to proceed. Proceed from what? From the introduction that I just said. And I'm, I've done my introduction, now I'm moving to my speech. So that's what وَبَعْدُ is used for. It's actually meant to be أَمَّا بَعْدُ But this wow in وَبَعْدُ The wow in there, it's taking the place of the place of أَمَّا بَعْدُ And أَمَّا بَعْدُ is taking the place of what? مَهْمَا يَكُنْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Okay, ha ka the author rahimahullah he says wabadu ah to proceed ha ka the word ha ka means a khud take it means take what are you going to take sirat al rasuli the prophet's biography sallallahu alaihi wasallam take it from me him take it and al rasuli it means the prophet the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam a Muhammad nabiyah Muhammad is a messenger. Manzumatan a poetry. The word manzuma it means bimana shi'r. It means poetry. Okay? The opposite of manzuma, muqabilul manzuma is what? An-nathar. The Arabs have manzuma and nathar. Manzuma is poetry and a nathar is a normal statement. That which isn't poetry. Okay? That which is not poetry. Mujazatal fusuli. The word mujaza comes from the word al-ijaz, is to summarize. The author here is telling you that my book here, I'm going to be speaking about the Prophet's biography, but it will be summarized. Okay? It's not going to be uh, in details. Mujazat al-fusuli. And it's also going to be in what? Chapters. And I also said there's another view, which is that he's trying to say, manzumatan mujazat al-fusuli, that he is summarizing it from the Kitab Al-Fusul written by uh, Ibn Kathir Rahimahullahu Ta'ala. Naam.
the author rahimahullah in these three lines of poetry he goes into the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's birth he says mawliduhu fi ashiril fadili he says his birth was on the 10th of the distinct am the distinguished month rabi'in al awwal am al fili so the prophet sallallahu birth is what it happened fi fi ashiril fadili the Prophet ﷺ was born on the 10th of the month of Rabi' al-Awwal. What year? Amal Fili, the year of the elephant. And the year of the elephant, Allah mentioned in the Quran, Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi ashabil fil, alam yaj'al kaydahum fi tadlil, wa arsala alayhim tayran ababil, tarmihim bi hijaratin min sijil, faj'alahum ka'asfim ma'kul. Amil Fil is the year when Abraha, Abraha al-Habashi came to Mecca at and when he came, he came Qasidan Hadm al-Kaaba. His aim and objective was to destroy the Kaaba. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed him. And this event was called Amil Fil. That's what it was called. The year of the elephant. Because Allah destroyed them subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, the Prophet ﷺ, he was born in that year. But some scholars, they said, the Prophet ﷺ, he wasn't born on the 10th of Rabi' al-Awwal. He was born on the 8th of Rabi' al-Awwal. And other scholars have said, no, he was born on the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal. And there are many views regarding it. There are many views regarding it. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, he mentioned in his Kitab al-Bidaya wa nihaya so many views regarding the Prophet sallallahu when he was born. Like in the overwhelming majority of scholars are of the opinion that the Prophet sallallahu was born in this month, Rabi' al-Awwal, the 12th. This is the view of the Jumhur. But as Sheikh al-Albani mentions in his Kitab, Sahih al-Sirah, he says, وَفِي شَهْرِ أَقْوَالٌ ذَكَرَهَا بْنُ كَثِيرٍ فِي الْأَصْلِ يعني البداية والنهاية وَكُلُّهَا مُعَلَّقَةً بدون أسانيد يمكن النظر فيها ووزنها بميزان علم المصطلح الحديث إلا قول من قال إنه في الثامن من ربيع الأول فإنه رواه مالك وغيره بسند صحيح عن محمد بن جبير بن مطعم وهو تابعي جليل ولعله لذلك صح هذا القول أصحاب التاريخ واعتبدوا ثم قال أن ذن هيسر آفتلات والجمهور على أنه في الثاني عشر منه والله أعلم Jubair ibn Mut'im, there's an authentic chain of narration that Jubair ibn Mut'im said that the Prophet was born on the 8th. Bisaladin Sahih. Al-Imam Malik narrated that. But the overwhelming majority of the scholars, and it's the general view that the Prophet was born on the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal. The Prophet sallallahu date of birth not being known to us is because there's no rulings regarding it. There's no hukum shari connected to it. In other words, we don't celebrate the Prophet's birthday. That is why the day in which he was born, Salawatullah is differed upon and disagreed upon because there is no hukum connected to it. There isn't. But without a shadow of a doubt, we are always happy, always happy that our Prophet was born. It makes every believer happy. But to specify that happiness to a particular day and make that day the day where you rejoice, then that has no basis in our religion. And the author then mentions 
that the Prophet's birth was uh, on a Monday at the break of dawn. Okay, so it was a Monday. The evidence that it was a Monday is the hadith when the Prophet was asked about the day he was born, and the Messenger وسلم, he said uh, about Monday, uh, the hadith Imam Muslim narrated it, bin hadith Abi Qatada. The Prophet وسلم, he said, when he was asked about on Monday, he said, This was the day in which I was born. And Monday was the day I was born. The Prophet mentioned. And if we look at it in accordance to the Gregorian calendar, the Gregorian calendar, the Prophet would be born on the 20th of April. So the Gregorian calendar, it mentions that the Prophet's birth corresponds to the 20th of April. So he was born on the 20th of April, sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. He was born. He was born. And before him, haynu abihi hana. And before his birth, وَقَبْلَهُ here means أي before his birth sallallahu alayhi wa sallam his father passed away and the scholars they say وَهَذَا أَبْلَغُ دَرَجَاتِ الْيُتْمِي that is the greatest level of orphanage that your father dies even before you are born and that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentioned in the Quran أَلَمْ يَجِدْكَ يَتِيمًا فَآوَى وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى وَوَجَدَكَ عَائِلًا فَأَغْنَى So the Prophet ﷺ, his father died uh, whilst he was in the womb of his mother. وَقَبْلَهُ حَيْنُ أَبِيهِ حَانَ قَبْلَ أَنْ يُولَدَ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ حَيْنُ أَبِيهِ حَانَ What does the word حَيْنُ mean? أي أَجَلُ أَبِيهِ حَانَ أي حَضَر The death of his father came. So the Prophet ﷺ was in his mother's womb. Naam. And after two years, the author, rahimahullah, he says, After two years, two years later, he was weaned, alayhi salatu wasalam. The word Fatima means weaned, alayhi salatu wasalam. It is to disconnect the child from breastfeeding. And the word uh, Fatima, it means uh, to disconnect the child from the breast milk. That is to stop him from the breast milk. And so two years is what the child's breastfeeding should be. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, That the mother should breastfeed the child for two years. And if she doesn't do it, she is sinning. Okay? And it's one of the things that the punishment of the grave comes from. So the mother should breastfeed the child for the first two years. And after that, the parent should uh, stop. Good. So two years is the breastfeeding. The Prophet ﷺ, he got those two years. Then جاءت به مرضعه سليمة. جاءت به مرضعه سليمة means 
he's وبعد عامين غدا فاطمة جاءت به مرضعه his murdi' brought him salima salima means a mu'afan it means cured two years later he was weaned and brought back safe and sound by his wet nurse the prophet sallallahu after two years of breastfeeding he was brought back by his wet nurse and she brought the Prophet back safe. Nothing happened to him. Her name was what? Halimatun. The name of his mother was Halimatun. His wet nurse, she brought the Prophet back to his mother and his wet nurse, the wet nurse her name was Halima uh, Saadiya that was her name and her full name is Halimatun Halimatu bintu Abi Dhu'ay bin Saadiya she was the Prophet sallallahu the woman who breastfed him who did Halima Saadiya bring the Prophet back to she brought him back to his mother and in two years she breastfed the Prophet sallallahu and then she brought the Prophet safe and sound back to his mother. The scholars, they disputed whether she took Islam or not. And that which is famous is that she took Islam. Her husband took Islam and she also took Islam. That is the famous opinion. But there is difference of opinion regarding it. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions in Izad al-Ma'ad. There's a big difference amongst the scholars whether she took Islam. Halima Sa'adiyah, she brought the Prophet ﷺ back to his mother. In where? In Mecca. She took him to Mecca. And what she did was, she returned back to her people as she wanted. She returned with him to her own family as she desired. The Prophet ﷺ fascinated Halima Sa'adiyah. So in these two lines, the author mentions that the Prophet was breastfed for two years. He's the wet nurse, Halima, Saadiya, she breastfed the Prophet for two years. When she breastfed the Prophet ﷺ for two years, she brought the Prophet ﷺ back to his mother in Mecca. But when she came back to his mother in Mecca, she wanted to convince his mother to allow her to keep him for long. Because she wanted the barakah that she sought from the Prophet She saw many things that she loved about him. So she wanted to keep him for a bit longer. And it became possible for her. Amina binti Wahbin, she said, you can take him. The Prophet's mother said, you can take him then. Okay, no problem. You can, you can take him. So what happened was, Halima Sa'adiyah, she took the Prophet back to her family. As she wanted, as she desired. That's what the author is trying to tell you here. فَبَعْدَ الشَّهْرَيْنِ شِقَاقُ نعم.
here something happened. The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he returned back to Halima Sa'diya. Halima Sa'diya is now taking the Prophet for his mother again. She brought him back after two years of breastfeeding. She, um, she brought him back, but she pleaded and she begged the mother of the Prophet to allow the Prophet to, for her to keep the Prophet. Amina said, you can take him. She took him after two months of the Prophet being with her. What happened? The, uh, the chest of the Prophet was opened. This is what happened. Waqila, and there's another view amongst the scholars which says that it happened when he was four years old. Naam. So the Prophet is now chest is open. Jibreel came. He opened the Prophet's chest. This frightened Halima Sa'diya. And so she returned him back to his mother. She got scared of what she saw. So she came and she ran to the Prophet, the Prophet's mother, and she said, Keep your son, because if something happens to him, I will be blamed for it. When the Prophet ﷺ was six years old, his mother passed away. His mother died when, she, when he was six. The author here is telling us that the Prophet lost his mother at the age of six. So the Prophet ﷺ's mother died in a place she was buried in called Abu'a. The Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned that he asked Allah permission if he can ask forgiveness for his mother and he wasn't given the he wasn't given the permission to ask forgiveness for his mother and then he goes uh, i asked permission from allah if i can go and visit my mother's grave allah permitted for me and i visited her grave so the prophet started to cry sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he came to the mother the grave the grave of his mother so she was she's buried in a place called Al-Abwa, which is between Mecca and Medina. So, so far what we've spoken about is the Messenger sallallahu his father died whilst he was in his mother's womb. That is the strongest opinion that the Prophet sallallahu his father died whilst his mother was pregnant in his womb. He was in his mother's womb. The Prophet sallallahu we also mentioned that the Messenger وسلم, after two years, his breastfeeding was stopped by Halima binti Abi Dhu'ayb al-Sa'diyya. She was the woman, she was the wet nurse of the Prophet We've mentioned that. And we mentioned that when she finished her two years of breastfeeding, which was the agreement, she brought the Prophet to his mother. She brought the Prophet back to his mother, but she begged if she can keep the Prophet. And the Prophet mother agreed, Amina agreed. She said, no problem, you can take him. After two months of the Prophet being with her, what happened? The chest of the Prophet was opened. By the way, the Prophet's chest was opened three times. The first time it was opened was 
when he was scared and it's this situation. When, sorry, when he was young. It was this time when he was young and he was in the Badia of Bani Sa'din. Uh, Halima Sa'diyah, when she was holding, that was the first time it happened, this situation. There was another time that it happened. Just before his prophecy. Just before his prophecy. And this was to prepare him for the revelation to come down on him. That was the second time. And the third time that it happened to him was just before the night of ascension, the night where he went up to the sky, the night of Isra wal Mi'raj, his chest was also open. And he was in the house of Umm Muhani when this happened to him. So the Prophet's chest was open three times. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay? It happened to him those three times. Now we've taken that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Um, by the way, I want to encourage you all, Ibn al-Qayyim in his Zad, he has a whole chapter or a whole section where he specifically talks about the benefits that were in the opening of the chest of the Prophet And then from there, he talks about the issue of the concept of Sharh uh, al-Sadri. The opening of the chest and whatnot, and scholars, some of them, taken that book out and they explained it. وَبَعْدَ سِتِّمْ مَعَ شَهْرٍ جَائِي After um, the Prophet ﷺ was six years of age, his mother died. And the author mentioned it for you here. He died وَفَاتُ أُمِّهِ عَلَى الْأَبْوَاءِ His mother died in Abwa. That's where she died. His mother. Inshallah ta'ala, we're going to stop for the salah and we'll carry on after the salah. Bi'idhnillahi, bi'idhnillahi al-kareem. So, we've taken that the Prophet both his parents have now passed away and he's at the age of six. His father passed away whilst he was in his mother's womb. And his father, his mother passed away when he was six years of age. Now, I want to mention something before we go into the next line. The strongest opinion the evidences and the ahadith al-thabita, the authentic ahadiths proof is that Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim and others that the Prophet's mother and his father were both disbelievers. The evidence that his mother was a disbeliever is the hadith that I just mentioned now, or hadith that I just mentioned a, uh, a while back, uh, when the Prophet has said, Istadantu Rabbi an Azura Qabra Ummi, li. I asked Allah permission if I can go and visit the grave of my mother, and Allah permitted it for me. And I asked Allah wa ta'ala, uh, if I can ask forgiveness for my mother. Allah did not allow me. The reason why he wasn't allowed to ask forgiveness for his mother is because she was not a believer. Also, his father, there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim. And a rajulan sa'ala nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A man came to the Prophet and he said, Aina Abi, where's my father? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Finnari, your father is in the hellfire. The man stood up. And he left. And as he was walking away, the Prophet had said to him, Inna Abi wa'abaka finnar. My father and your father are both in the hellfire. 
The Prophet said that Now some people might say But what about the hadith that mention uh, That the Prophet's parents were, were brought back to life Those hadiths we say They are either mawdu' fabricated Or they are hadith which are shadidu ba'af Excessively weak And they can't, those narrations do not try to even bring those narrations in uh, opposition with hadiths that are found in Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari. Now, some people might then say, You are slandering the Prophet by saying this. We say, This does not put down the Prophet's status, this, the position Allah gave him. It doesn't put him down. Why? Ibrahim alayhi salam. Nabiullah Ibrahim. Abuhu kafiran. His father was a disbeliever. Wasn't that not the case? He was. And Nabiullah Nuh, his son was a disbeliever. Um, Nabiullah Lut, his wife was a disbeliever. So this does not in any way, shape or form uh, make it uh, a slander for the prophets. No, not at all. This actually just shows that these uh, people are a sign for us as people to understand that all of the matters are in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whoever Allah wishes, He guides, and whoever Allah wishes, He doesn't guide. And that the prophets, they can guide the people by showing them the path, but they cannot place the truth in the people's hearts. They can't. The prophets and the messengers, they convey the truth to the people. And so from that perspective, they guide. Because the guidance are two types. Hidayatul Dalalati wal Irshad. They can show the path to the people. They can show them what Allah wants for them to do. They can show the people what to stay away from. But to take the truth and place it in the people's hearts, that's not something prophets can do. And prophets can't do that. So this is us learning the ultimate ability that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has. Naam. Now the author, rahimahullah, in the 10th line, he says, وَجَدُّهُ his grandfather. Yani, uh, his, um, uh, his grandfather, the Prophet's grandfather. And this grandfather of the Prophet, وسلم, uh, Abdul Muttalib, he's, he was named Abdul Muttalib because of uh, a confusion that happened to the people. His name is actually Shaybatul Hamd. That was his name. Shayba is actually the actual name that was given to him. Lakin Muttalib, who is the brother of Hashim. Hashim and Muttalib are brothers. Muttalib heard that his brother Hashim, who passed away, had a son in Medina. That he married a woman in Medina and that she gave birth to a child for him. And he passed away. Hashim passed away before he could come to Mecca. When Muttalib heard that, he went on the quest of looking for that uh, his, uh, his brother's son So he went to Medina And When he came to Medina He saw Shaiba He asked the mother Of Shaiba if she can give him his son Her son If she can give her son to him And he said to her I am his uncle Muttalib And we are from a big tribe in Mecca If this boy stays here He's going to be belittled and put down 
But if he comes to Mecca, he is going to be honored and appreciated. So let me take him, because he's going to stay with these people. So after a long back and forth, she finally accepted, and she gave her son to his uncle. Muttalib took the son, and he brought him to Mecca. On the way, when he was coming into the city of Mecca, the people they saw Hashim, uh, they saw Hashim's son, Shaiba, and they saw uh, Muttalib. So what they thought was that Muttalib got a slave, that he went and bought himself a slave. So they said the slave of Muttalib. That's why he's called Abdul Muttalib, the slave of Muttalib. And Abdul Muttalib is the Prophet Sallallahu granddad. He's the Prophet's granddad. So the Prophet's name is Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim. So Abdul Muttalib is the son of Hashim. And Abdul Muttalib was a highly respected man in Quraysh. Highly respected. Yani high level. Even Abraha, Abraha, when he saw Abdul Muttalib, he venerated him straight away, honored him and respected him. The narrations mention that he was taken back by the, 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 uh, the appearance and the way Abdul Muttalib was. Abdul Muttalib was a very tall, strong man. And he was a very respected man amongst Quraysh. Uh, so when Abraha saw him, he honored him. Rather, Abraha got off from his uh, chair and his sarir he was sitting on, and he told uh, Abdul Muttalib to sit with him on it. And then when they had a conversation, he told Abdul Muttalib that he's coming to the Kaaba and he's going to destroy it. That's what Abraha told Abdul Muttalib. And Abdul Muttalib said, I didn't come here to discuss with you the, the issue of you coming to the Kaaba and destroying it. I'm here just to ask you for my camels that were taken from me. Some of my camels were taken by your men. I just want my camels. And then Abraha said, when you came in, I could not hold myself back. I was amazed with who, your, your appearance, and the way you look and the way you talk and the way you act. I was taken back, you see. But then when you asked me about your camels and you don't even realize that I'm going to destroy the hub of Quraysh, you've now dropped in my eyes, he said. But Abdul Muttalib said something very powerful to him. He said, these camels has its lord, its owner, and that's me. And the Kaaba has its owner, which is its lord, Allah. He said, Allah will protect its, the Kaaba, and he's going to protect it from any harm. I am going to also protect my camels from any harm. I'm going to request for my camels. And that's what happened. And Abdul Muttalib... Uh, the fact that Abdul Muttalib was also a respected man shows you when the Prophet in the middle of the battlefield he said You see He said I'm a prophet of Allah The Prophet Muhammad said this He said I am a prophet sent from Allah I'm not lying And I'm the son of Abdul Muttalib He jumped his father Abdullah He jumped his granddad And scholars they took from this issue a fiqhi ruling which is the concept of inheritance, they use it in that discussion as well. Another thing that scholars talk about is that the son attributing himself to the grandson and whatnot, and some sa'il are connected to him. But what he said, and Abdul Abdul Muttalib, and there was a reason why the Prophet chose uh, Abdul Muttalib. So the Prophet, وسلم, when he became six, his mother passed away, so Abdul Muttalib took over. Abdul Muttalib looked after the Prophet for two years. So from the age of six, Abdul Muttalib looked for after him from six to eight. And the Prophet ﷺ's granddad, Abdul Muttalib, he passed away. When the Prophet was eight years old, Abdul Muttalib had now passed away. He died. That's what the author is trying to say to you. He's saying, وَجَدُّهُ لِلْأَبِي عَبْدِ الْمُطَّلِبِ بَعْدَ ثَمَانٍ مَا تَمِّنْ غَيْرِ كَذِبِ 
يعني عبد المطلب died after two years of looking after the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The Prophet at this time was what? He was eight years of age. And how many years has his mother been dead for? Two years. So Abd al-Muttalib died two years after his mother and the Prophet was eight years of age. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The author then says, Min ghayri kathib. This is not a lie. And هذا أمر متقرر ومعروف وثابت في كتب السيرة. He means that this issue is not a lie. It's an established matter. It's written in the books of Sira that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his granddad died when he was eight years of age. ولذلك ابن إسحاق in his سيرة he says فلما بلغ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ثماني سنين هلك جده when the prophet reached the age of eight his granddad died عبد المطلب ابن هاشم نعم The author, rahimahullah, here he goes into who took over the Prophet sallallahu guardianship after his granddad died. ثُمَّ أَبُوْ طَالِبِنِ الْعَمُّ كَفَلْ His uh, paternal uncle. His uncle from his dad's side. His paternal uncle. Um, Abu Talib took on the responsibility of the Prophet sallallahu He took on the guardianship of the Prophet sallallahu Why did Abu Talib become the one next in kinship. And why was he the next in, 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 in the guardianship of the Prophet The reason is because Abu Talib is the Prophet's uncle and he is the full brother of his father. In other words, Abdullah and Abu Talib, both of them had the same mom and same dad. Abdullahi, which is the Prophet's father, and Abi Talib, both of them had the same mom and same dad. Well, that is some of the scholars, they say this was a secret of the connection Abu Talib had for the Prophet and how much he loved him. He really did. And he gave a lot of consideration and care and uh, protection for the Prophet He really did. There were many fascinating things that show that he helped the Prophet Ibn Ishaq mentions as Ibn Kathir mentions in his Kitab Al-Bidayah wa Nihaya, and if you go to the Kitab Al-Sira Ibn Hisham, you find it there. وَكَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ بَعْدَ جَدِّ عَبْدِ الْمُطَّلِبِ مَعَ عَمِّهِ أَبِي طَالِبِ لِوَصِيَةِ عَبْدِ الْمُطَّلِبِ لَهُ بِهِ So who was the one that told Abi Talib to look after the Prophet? was Abdul Muttalib. And Abdul Muttalib was on his last moments, he's about to die. He is worried about his grandson. So he tells Abu Talib, he goes, Abu Talib, you take over. This is the secret of why Abu Talib was the one instructed. I mean, there were the other uncles alive. There were aunties even alive. The uncles were alive and the aunties were alive. But Abu Talib was specifically chosen. Ibn Ishaq mentions it here. And also Ibn Kathir affirms this. He says, Because he was the brother, the full brother of the Prophet Sallallahu uncle. You see, Ummuhuma Fatiha bit Amr. Both of them, their mother was Fatima bint Amr. Fatima bint Amrin was the mother of the Prophet's dad and Abu Talib. فَكَانَ أَبُوْ طَالِبْ هُوَ الَّذِي يَلِي أَمْرَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ And that's why, that's why he was next in power. That is why he was next in the, uh, 
in guardianship of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And this is the hikam of the Arabs and how they used to think. Because brothers who tend to have the same mum have that connection sometimes more, sometimes, not always the case, but sometimes more than brothers who are half. Naam. Then the author says, That the Prophet ﷺ, he traveled to Sham. There's, a, there's a, a question that sometimes scholars, they throw at the people. It's kind of a riddle. Not a riddle, but it's a tricky question to see if you even know the biography of the Prophet. Which is that, someone might ask you and say to you, the Messenger ﷺ, where from outside the Arabian Peninsula has he ever traveled to? There was no other place except Sham. Sham is the only place that the Prophet ﷺ ever traveled to. Sham, Levant, is the only place our Messenger ﷺ ever traveled to. No other place. Jaziratul Arab, and he went to Sham. Baytul Maqdis is part of Sham. And Dimashq is part of Sham. You see? So the Messenger وسلم, he traveled to Sham. But remember and keep this in mind. Sham at this moment is under the Byzantine Empire. The Romans are controlling Sham. It's them who are taking care of it. So Sham has things that the Jaziratul Arab doesn't have. Sham has things that the uh, Arabian Peninsula doesn't, uh, doesn't have. Okay? Uh, so the Prophet like for example, Sham has in the greenery, the fruits, the fruits of Sham are better than the fruits of the Arabian Peninsula, much better, and the vegetations and stuff like that. So they go and they buy things from them and they sell things to them as well. So it's buying and selling, exporting and importing. So Abu Talib took the Prophet with him. And some scholars say, what was the wisdom of why he took him with him? Because Abu Talib loved the Prophet so much he could not trust anyone with him. He really loved him. So he took him with him. And this is something to really think about because this was not a flight, a little holiday. Ah, you're talking about in the desert, traveling, walking. Abu Talib believed that he had to be close to the Prophet. So the Prophet was very young at this time. Abu Talib took him. The Prophet ﷺ was only 12 years of age at that time. The Prophet was 12 years of age. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And guess what happened at this time? And the well-known incident with Bahira took place. Bahira was a monk. And the story regarding him is min akhbarin ajibatin wa ayatin bahira. It's actually a fascinating uh, situation, uh, the issue of bahira. I'm going to mention it because it's narrated by Al Imam Al Tirmidhi, narrated in his Sunan in a lengthy uh, version and um, on the authority of Abi Musa Al Ash'ari. Okay? And Al Imam Al Tirmidhi graded it to be Hassan. Ibn Hajar said regarding this story that its chain is very authentic. And that is that, um, I'm going to mention it, it says, خَرَجَ أَبُوْ طَالِبِ إِلَى الشَّامِ وَخَرَجَ مَعَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ فِي أَشْيَاخٍ مِنْ قُرَيْشٍ فَلَمَّا أَشْرَفُوا عَلَى الرَّاهِبِ هَبَطُوا فَحَلُّوا رِحَالَهُمْ فَخَرَجَ إِلَيْهِمُ الرَّاهِبُ وَكَانُوا قَبْلَ ذَلِكَ يَمُرُّونَ بِهِ فَلَا يَخْرُجُوا إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَا يَلْتَفِتُوا Abu Talib, before this he used to travel to Sham. He used to do this before. 
So whenever he would travel, this monk would be there. But this monk never ever came out for anyone before. But this time when the Prophet came with Abu Talib, this monk came out to Abu Talib. And he then said to them, uh, first what he did was he grabbed the Prophet Sallallahu hand, this monk. The monk actually grabbed the Prophet's hand. And then he said, This is the master of this universe. And this boy, he is a master of this world. This is going to be the Prophet and the Messenger from Allah. Allah is going to send him as a Prophet to, to the world. So the, 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 uh, the men of Quraysh, they said, What gave you this knowledge? He said, إِنَّكُمْ حِينَ أَشَرَفْتُمْ مِنَ الْعَقَبَةِ When you guys came from that aqaba, that, 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 that land, that when you came down from over there, لَمْ يَبْقَ شَجَرٌ وَلَا حَجَرٌ إِلَّا خَرَّ سَاجِدًا Those trees and those rocks, all of them are prostrate and I saw them. And they do not prostrate. وَلَا يَسْجُدَانِ إِلَّا لِنَبِي They only prostrate to a prophet. النبوتي, and this boy, I can, seal, I can see from him the seal of prophecy, he said. And the story goes on. So this shows um, that the Prophet وسلم, this happened. When this took place, um, he became very scared. He became very, very scared for him. وسلم, and the monk even told him, that you need to be very careful. The Jews, if they see this boy, they're going to do something to him. Naam. So anyways, this story is lengthy. It's in Sunan Tirmidhi. On the authority of Abi Musa al-Ash'ari, you can read it up. Ibn Hajar graded it to be Hassan, uh, Qawi. Sorry. He said it's Qawi. Also, Al-Imam Abu Hakim and Naysaburi authenticated and Bayhaqi and other than them from the people of uh, knowledge and the scholars of Hadith. Naam. In these three lines, the author rahimahullah, mentions that the Messenger وسلم, traveled a second time to Sham. And this was a trading he was doing for our mother Khadija bint Khuwailid. Khadija had good news about the Prophet. She heard his manners was very high, how trustworthy he was and truthful. And because of that, she felt that she would want him to do the trading of her business. His credentials are very good. So she said, can you, do my, can you run my business for me? Um, so the Prophet ﷺ, he did it for her, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He went to Sham. وَصَارَ نَحْوَ الشَّامِ, the author says. He went towards the direction of Sham. أَشْرَفُ الْوَرَى Sham is what? Um... Uh, the author says, Ashraful Wara. And Ashraful Wara here means the Prophet is the most honorable of creation. A Ashraful Khalqi. The Prophet 
is the best of creation. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam at this time, he was what? The Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how old was he at this time? He was 25 years of age. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 25 years old. And he was what? لِأُمِّنَا خَدِيجَةٍ مُتَّجِرَةٍ He was a uh, trading for our mother Khadija. And the reason why we call her our mother is because Allah mentioned in the Quran, that the Prophet's wives are our mothers. They are our mothers. So Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, she um, she was trading uh, business and she trusted the Prophet. She knew that he was someone noble. And she can trust her wealth with, so he start, he did that for her. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Wa'ada he turned back from his journey, and he came back from Sham. The Prophet returned back from Sham, Rabihan. He turned back from Sham, Rabihan. Rabihan here means he came back with good money. He came back with what? He came back with good money. Rabihan mustabshiran, and he came he came back with glad tidings. So the word Rabihan, Ayaraja and Nabi Sassim in Hadi Rihla, Rabihan Rabhan Kathiran, I'm a Ribhan Kathiran, that the Prophet came back with great profit. Mustabashiran, glad tidings, good news he brought to her. This story is that our mother Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, she was a woman that had wealth. And she used to send people to do trading for her business. Back and forth. Um, whenever she would send someone, they would make money for her, and she would then send another patch, and she, they would make money for her, and she would So Abu Talib, he said to the Prophet in Khadija nas. Khadija, she sends people to do business for her. And when they do business for her, she gives them money. Go to her, and take her business for her and get money from this. That's what Abu Talib suggested to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he took her wealth to, that's one narration. Some scholars, they said, no, she requested for him. And she's heard about him and she said, can you come? And I would want him. So she spoke to Abu Talib and she said, if he could come to me, I would give him uh, a business for me and I will pay for his uh, work so the Prophet ﷺ went when he went he went with Khadija's boy his name was called Maysara so Maysara and the Prophet ﷺ went together and the aim here was to do a type of trading called Bay'ul Mudaraba Bayul Mudaraba means the Prophet ﷺ does the working, Khadija comes with the money, and the Messenger ﷺ does the work, and they share the profit. That's called Bayul Mudaraba. One person comes with the money, and one person comes with the work, and the, and the, and the skill. Okay? So it's like rich people. 
They go to uh, someone who they know that's got the effort and the talent and the hard work. This person's got a lot of money. He doesn't want to uh, work. He just wants his money to make. He just wants his money to make money for him. So he goes to someone and he says, "Guess what? You have an idea. You have the skills. You have the links. I have the money. I bring fifty. I bring whatever money is needed. I put in it, and whatever's made the profits has made fifty-fifty. How about that? No problem. This is called bayul mudaraba. And it's called al qirad. It's also called qirad, which is mudaraba. This is what they agreed upon. So the Prophet ﷺ, he went and he traded for her money and he put her money in. Now generally when this type of trading happens, the person who generally loses out is the one who brought the money. Because the person who's coming with the effort, he's trying, if it works out, good. If it doesn't, then he... So there's a lot of trust that has to be on the side of who? The one who's giving the money. Now, So anyways, the Prophet ﷺ, he took the money and he traded for her. This Maysara is with her, uh, with him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's walking with the Prophet, he's watching him, he's observing him. Okay? So he saw some things happen. From the things that he saw, that he, he told Khadija when he came back, was um, a man came to the Prophet. And the man said to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I swear you by Allah wal Uzza. And the Messenger sallallahu he said, La ahlifu billati wal al Uzza. I'm not going to swear by Lat and I'm not going to swear by Uzza. So, that was the first sign for him because this is something that Quraysh worshipped and, and he, that's one thing. The second thing he saw was that They went by a man called Nastur Maysara and the Prophet walked by this man called Nastur When this monk saw the Prophet This is not the Bahira, this is another monk When he saw the Prophet, he said This is a Prophet So these two, and many other things, Bahi, uh, sorry, Maysara took back and he told uh, Khadija. Also what he saw was the Prophet's trustworthiness, how honest he was, how truthful he was. He never lied, he never cheated. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when Khadija was told this, فَكَانَ فِيهِ عَقْدُهُ عَلَيْهَا وَبَعْدَهُ إِفْضَاءُهُ إِلَيْهَا so that same year, the Prophet is still 25 years of age, is when he married our mother Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. Their marriage took place that same year. Khadija, when all of that was told to her, and she was informed about that, she asked for his hand in marriage. She did. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. And this shows that in our religion, it is allowed for a woman to come forward. If she sees an appropriate man, uh, she can present herself to that man and say, look, are you, are you willing to get married to me? She can, if there's no fear of fitna. She can, she can present herself. Also, it is permissible for a mother to present her daughter to someone, or a brother to present his sister to someone, if he believes that this person is noble and righteous. We tend to look down at this, but some situations, that might be the best way forward. That might be the best way 
forward. So at the age of 25, the Messenger married Khadija, and it was the first woman he ever married. Khadija, on the other hand, she was divorced twice before the Prophet ﷺ. She was divorced twice before the Messenger ﷺ married her. Um, but whilst the Prophet ﷺ was married to Khadija, he never married any other woman with her until she died. And she's a virtuous woman, Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. From the virtues is that which Bukhari and Muslim both narrated in their sahih. That the Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, مَا غِرْتُ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِنْ نِسَاءِ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. She said, I never became jealous, Aisha said, of any of the Prophet's wives. مَا غِرْتُ عَلَىٰ خَدِيجَةٍ The way I was jealous of Khadija. By the way, Aisha wasn't even born when Khadija died. She wasn't even born, Aslan. You see? So she said, وَمَا رَأَيْتُهَا I never even saw her. وَلَكِنْ كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَىٰهُ عَلَىٰ يُكْتِرُ ذِكْرَىٰ But the messenger used to mention her a lot. Okay? And that's the reality. When a man is amazed by a particular woman and he sees that this woman has qualities, qualities, he will mention her. And even if he, does, even if he didn't want to mention her, his nature and his personality will over come him by mentioning because someone who's good or you see goodness in them whatever opportunity you get you mention them and that's how the prophet was with khadija he would mention her a lot sometimes he might even slaughter a, a sheep or a goat or a ram he would slaughter it والسلام, and then he would disperse it and he would give it out to the, uh, the friends of Khadija. I and mean, look at this. He loves Khadija. The love that he has for Khadija now has moved on to appreciating her friends. He would do that. فَرُبَّمَا قُلْتُ لَهُ Aisha said, I might even say to him sometimes, out of jealousy, كَأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَكُنْ فِي الدُّنْيَا إِمْرَأَةٌ إِلَّا خَدِيجَةٌ يعني, I'm jealous and I'll say this to him. It's like there's no other woman in this world except, except Khadija. That's what I would say to him. فَيَقُولُ He will then say to me, إِنَّهَا كَانَتْ وَكَانَتْ She was. And she was, and she was, وَكَانَ لِي مِنْهَا وَلَدٌ And I had children with her. Because Aisha never had children with the Prophet ﷺ. Khadija had all of the Prophet's children except Ibrahim, who was the mother, uh, whose mother, Ibrahim's mother is Maria Qirtiya. Okay? And Maria wasn't even the Prophet's wife. She was the Prophet's right hand possessed. So only wife that gave birth to the Prophet the only wife of the Prophet that had children for him was Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. Now. The author here mentions something I just mentioned now, which is Wawulduhu, the word Wawulduhu is it, a plural of the word walad. Mm-hmm. It's uh, You say it like that It's the jam'u walad Sometimes you can make it plural by saying awlad Or sometimes you can say wuld The Arabs say that There's actually a qira'ah of Hamza and Kisai In the ayah مَا لَمْ يَزِدْ مَا لَمْ Sorry مَا لَمْ يَزِدْهُ مَالُهُ وَوَلَدُهُ إِلَّا خَسَارًا Or the ayah 
قل إن كان للرحمن ولد نعم but the word وولده is the it's like the plural of the word أسد أسد you can say أسد and it's used for the boy and the girl وولدُهُ is boy and girls like Allah said in the ayah يُوصِيكُمُ اللَّهُ فِي أَوْلَادِكُمْ أَوْلَادِكُمْ your children boys and girls that's why Allah says لِذَكَرِ مِثْلُ حَظِّ الْأُنْثَيَيْنِ أَوْلَادُكُمْ ذَكَرًا and أُنْثَيَيْنِ uh, were mentioned so أَوْلَاد means girls and boys okay وُلد of course is a plural it means boys and girls so all of the Prophet's children are from Khadija مَا خَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمِ except Ibrahim Ibrahim who is the mother of Ibrahim Maria Al-Qibtiyah Maria Qibtiyah was the mother of who Ibrahim فَالْأَوَّلُ الْقَاسِمُ the first child that the Prophet ﷺ had is Qasim and that is why the Prophet's kunya was Qasim that is why the Prophet's kunya was Qasim that was the first child he had sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that's the Prophet's kunya his وَبِهِ يُكْنَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَيُقَالُ لَهُ أَبُو الْقَاسِمِ حَازَ التَّكْرِيمُ What does the word حَازَ التَّكْرِيمُ mean? The word حَازَ it means أَيْ جَمَعَهُ وَظَفَرَ بِهِ that he took all of the characteristics of distinction Ibrahim, he became the distinct one. Uh, anhu. So he was the first child of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Naam. These are the four daughters of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that the author mentioned. Four daughters of the Prophet ﷺ, Zainab, Ruqayya, and Fatima, and Ummu Kalthum. It is like the author is of the opinion that Ummu Kalthum is the youngest. That's the view that the author seems to be taken here because he put Ummu Kalthum at the end. He did. And Ibn Hajar mentions that in Fathul Bari. He says, وَالْمُتَّفَقِ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أَوْلَادِهِ مِنْهَا الْقَاسِمِ وَبِي كَانَ يُكْنَى مات صغيرا قبل قبل المبعث أو بعده. قاسم died before the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم even became a prophet. And he died when he was very young. And he's the first child. You see, وبناته الأربعة and they have four kids, four daughters. زينب and then رقية and then أم كلثوم and then فاطمة. That's what Ibn Hajar mentions. وقيل and there is a view out there which says كانت أم كلثوم أصغر من فاطمة. and the scholars when they generally mention قيلة after they mention one opinion if they then after that say قيلة they mean that this is the weakest opinion. and then the weakest opinion is that فاطمة is the youngest. Uh, sorry the weakest opinion is that أم كلثوم is the youngest. it's a weak opinion. فاطمة is the youngest. so the order is the order is زينب and then رقية and then أم كلثوم and then فاطمة. وَالطَّاهِرُ الطَّيِّبُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ The author now goes into the next child. Naam.
the author, he goes into the next child. There are two opinions in this line of poetry. Some scholars, they said, um, At-Tahir and At-Tayyib are the two nicknames of Abdullah. The Prophet had a son called Abdullah. This son of his, Abdullah, he was called Tahir and Tayyib. So these are two nicknames of his. And there's another view which says, At-Tahir and At-Tayyib are two, two sons of the Prophet ﷺ that he had. So that's what the author says, Tahir and Tayyib are Abdullah. That's the first opinion. وقيلة, and some scholars they said, Each of those are two different people. And the reason why the author here says, I remember I just said it to you. The scholars when they mention an opinion, if they after that, after that they say qila, they mean this view is weak. So, the Prophet وسلم, how many boys did he have? He had three boys. He had three boys. He had Qasim, Abdullah, and Ibrahim. Qasim and Abdullah are who? The children of Khadija. Ibrahim is the uh, son of Maria Al-Qirtiya. The four daughters of the Prophet وسلم, are all from Khadija. And who are they? Zainab, Ruqayya, Umukalthum, and Fatima. All of his children, وسلم, all of those kids that he had, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam They all tasted death The author is going to mention it in the next line of poetry Naam The author says All of his children they tasted death And the only one who, res- who lived Was Fatima And all of his children Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam They all tasted death all of them. During his lifetime, they tasted death. And after him, Fatima Six months, Fatima lived after him. So six months after that, Fatima lived. So, Six months Fatima lived after the Prophet ﷺ and all of his other kids, they died. And the Prophet ﷺ, he actually told Fatima that, he's going to, that she's going to live six months after him. The hadith is found in Sahihain, Bukhari and Muslim. That Aisha ta'ala anha, she said, Anna Fatima anha ashat ba'da That Fatima, she lived after the Prophet six months. Six months. She died after that. You see, Aisha also mentioned, she said that Aqbalat Fatima tamshi ka'anna mishyataha mishyun nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Aisha said that Fatima came walking um, and she used to walk like the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam. She used to what? She used to walk like the Prophet. Faqala al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Prophet said, Marhaban bibnati. Just when he was alive, Fatima came walking to the Prophet And the Prophet at this time, he's on his deathbed. He's on his deathbed. So Fatima came walking to the Prophet. Aisha, she can see all of this. She said that when she came to the Prophet, the Prophet said, Fatima, when she came to the Prophet, the Prophet said to Fatima, Marhaban bibnati, welcome my daughter. 
to Majlisa Ayyamini, the Prophet sat her on his right side. Or An Shimalihu or his left side. And then what he did was He told her a secret in her ear and she cried. فَقُلْتُ لَهَا لِمَا تَبْكِينَ Aisha said, I asked her, why are you crying for? ثُمَّ أَسَرَّ إِلَيْهَا حَدِيثًا فَضَحِكَتْ Then the Prophet told her a second secret and she laughed. فَقُلْتُ I said to her, مَا رَأَيْتُكَ الْيَوْمِ فَرَحًا أَقْرَبَ مِنْ حُزْنٍ I haven't seen a day like this where laughing and being sad are both happening in the same gathering, in the same sit. فَسَأَلْتُ عَمَّا قَالْ Aisha said, I asked Fatima, what was it that the Prophet told you? فَقَالَتْ Aisha said, uh, sorry, Fatima said, مَا كُنْتُ لِأُفْشِيَ سِرَّ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ I am not one who's going to spread the secret the Prophet told me, alayhi salatu wasalam. حَتَّى قُبِضَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ فَسَأَلْتُهَا So then the Prophet died, the Prophet died, and he was buried, alayhi salatu wasalam. And Aisha said, I came back to Fatima again, and I asked her, he said, can you tell me now, now the Prophet's dead, can you tell me? فَقَالَتْ فَاطِمَ said, أَسَرَّ إِلَيَّ The secret he told me was that, إِنَّ جِبْرِيلَ كَانَ يُعَارِضُنِ الْقُرْآنَ عَلَى كُلِّ سَنَةٍ مَرَّةٍ وَإِنَّهُ عَارَضَنِ الْعَامَ مَرَّتَيْنِ That Jibreel used to come to me once a year to, re- to revise the Qur'an with me, or to present the Qur'an to me. And this year, Jibreel came twice and he presented the Qur'an to me twice. Because this was the last moment of the Prophet's life. The Prophet is going to die, alayhi salatu wasalam. Jibreel is going to give the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasalam, the last version of the Qur'an. So Jibreel, that year he came twice to the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. The Prophet then said to, the Prophet then said to Fatima, وَلَا أُرَاهُ إِلَّا حَذَرَ أَجَلِي And the reason why Jibreel came this year twice is because my life is coming to an end. That's what I believe. وَإِنَّكَ أَوَّلُ أَهْلِ بَيْتِي لَحِقًا بِي And you are the first person from my family who's going to catch up with me. Fatima then said, فَبَكِيْتُ I cried because of this. And then, he then whispered in my ear the second time and he said to me, أَمَا تَرْضَيْنَ أَن تَكُونِي سَيِّدَةَ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ أَوْ نِسَاءِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Do you not want to be the, the female mis- uh, master in Jannah? Or do you not want to be the leader of the women in Jannah Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Fatima then said, فَضَحِكْتُ لِذَلِكَ That made me laugh. That I am going to be Sayyidat Ahlil Jannah or Nisa'il Mu'minina. Naam. The author now goes into the story of the Bina'ul Kaaba, the building of the Kaaba. The Prophet wasallam. this line of poetry, the author tells us that the Prophet wasallam, when he was 50, 53 years of age, the Prophet is what? He's 53 years of age. Salawatullahi wasalamuhu alayhi. He participated in the building of the house of Allah. Lamma means what? When it wore out. It what? It wore out. The Kaaba, the construction of the Kaaba was wearing out. It became um, 
delibidation happened to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Naam. This story is as follows. The Kaaba, the first person who built it was Nabiullahi Adam. And other scholars, they've said, the angels actually built it for Adam alayhi salam. Who was it that renewed it? The one who renewed it was Nabiullah Ibrahim alayhi salam. As Allah mentioned in the ayah, وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَاعِيلِ Ibrahim um, alayhi salam, he was the one who uh, refurbished it. Ibrahim actually found the foundations already there because look at what the ayah says. وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدَ Ibrahim was building the qawaid. Yani, there was foundation of the Kaaba already there. Pay attention to that. This is what the ayah is saying. Ibrahim The qawaid was already there. Sorry. Ibrahim was building the Kaaba from the foundation. The foundation was already there. So then that means there was someone who built it before him. The scholars, they have two views who built it first. Was it Adam or was it the angels that built it for Adam? Okay, then what happened after Ibrahim is that the Kaaba became destroyed and it got renewed many times, many times. Um, and this time, one of the times it was at the time of the Prophet والسلام, when he was 53 years of age. Um, the reason why it was because there was a flood that happened, so it destroyed the Kaaba. Um, Quraysh they wanted to. Uh, build it again and what is mentioned is that they said Quraysh said لَا يَدْخُلُ فِيهَا دِرْهَمُ رِبًا وَلَا مَهْرُ بَغِيٍ وَلَا حُلْوَانُ كَاهِنٍ They said that this Kaaba is going to be built again but we're going to make sure that the money that it's going to be built with is not going to be money that came from riba, usury and it's not going to be the money of a woman who is a prostitute the money she brings forward and it's not going to be the money that of a fortune teller Now. Yani we're not going to get the money from it. It's going to be good money. So look at that. They're non-Muslims. They, they know that these things are not good. They know it's bad. So, because amongst them, there were people who had baqaya sharia to Ibrahim. The sharia of Ibrahim was still there in their minds. They knew all of these things were khabith and bad. And that the Kaaba of Allah cannot be built with that. Uh, and that it can only be built with that which is tayyib. So they took all of the money from one another. They collected their monies. But then the problem is, the halal money was very short. The halal money that they could bring forward was very little. They became very restricted. Um, and that's why till today, brothers and sisters, the hijr of Ismail that we see, which is the carved part of the Kaaba, was not added to the Kaaba. Does that make, does that, does that make sense now, brothers? Quraysh were not able to add that to the Kaaba. They should have built the Kaaba bigger to add that part in. That's why you can't do tawaf in that place. Because if you do tawaf in that place, you're doing tawaf in the Kaaba. And you're, you're meant to do tawaf around the Kaaba, not in the Kaaba. Okay? So Quraysh didn't have the money to build the entire building. 
the money, the halal money or the pure money they could bring, stop them. So what did they do? They placed it like that. They carved it in the way that you see it today. And after that, of course, it was built fully and then it was destroyed again by Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. And then after that, and some of the fuqaha like Imam Malik, he commanded the Kaaba not to be touched. After Hajjaj destroyed it and he, he took away from it being big, Imam Malik said, don't touch it now, leave it. No one touch it. The leader, I think it was Abdul Malik ibn Marwan or someone, he said, I can build it. Or Abu Ja'far ibn Mansur, I think it was. He said, I can build it. I can make it as the Prophet wanted to build it. Because the Prophet ﷺ said to Aisha, Lola, if your, fam, your people were not hudatha ahdim bil Islam, if the people were not new to Islam, Aisha, lahadamtul Kaaba, I would have destroyed the Kaaba, wala banaytuha ala asas Ibrahim. I would have built it in the way that Ibrahim built it. And I would have, this whole entire part that Quraysh couldn't put the money together, I would have built that part into it. So it was done, and then Hajjaj destroyed it. And then a leader at the time of, uh, I think it was Abu Ja'far Mansur or someone like that, said that to, at the time of Imam Malik, I can do it. I can build it and make it full. Al Imam Malik said something very powerful. He said, no. No, no, not at all. No one could do that. He said, because if every leader who comes, one builds it, the other one destroys it. One builds it, the other one destroys it. He said that the haybah, the veneration, the honor that the Kaaba has in the people's hearts will drop. And we should not make the Kaaba a lub, a toy that you can play with. One built it, the other one came and destroyed it. Now let's leave it. Let's leave it the way it is. So we do not take the honoring of the Kaaba out of the people's hands. Okay? That's a very important lesson that we learn from it. So the Prophet ﷺ, he never wasn't able to build it. It was built after that, as I mentioned. And inshallah ta'ala, now today is not built as the Prophet wanted it to be built. So it's left the way it is. The hijr is not part of it. It's not added into it. Naam. The author, rahimahullah. Sorry, I didn't mention. I forgot to mention this part. So what happened was. The Prophet ﷺ, he came and everyone wanted to put the Kaaba, uh, the stone, the black. So they built the Kaaba. They built the Kaaba. And when it came to the black stone, everyone was like, I'm going to put the black stone in, I'm going to put the black stone in, and I'm going to put the black stone in. They all fought over it. Everyone's fighting. So they, then they had an agreement. The only way that this issue can be resolved is that we are going to use as a judgment the first person who walks in. And the first person who walked in was the Prophet wasallam. And when he walked in, uh, they said, الأمينو, The trustworthy one has come. And the Prophet wasallam, then he gave them a wise uh, issue, which was, all of you take a cloth from one side and put the black stone inside there. All of you carry it. That means you all did it together. And then uh, the Prophet wasallam, he grabbed it himself. And he placed it, the black stone in. As soon as they got close, he picked it up and he put it in. So this made all of the tribes feel like they were part of putting the black stone uh, in there. That's what the author means here. They used him as a judgment. 
and they were pleased with the judgment he passed, alayhi salatu wasalam. Like what he said, it pleased them. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They loved his, they appointed him to be an arbitrary, right? For their conflict. And they accepted his solution and his verdict, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, for putting the black stone into the place. The funny thing is that when he came out to become a prophet, they didn't want to uh, listen to what he had to say. But before Islam, this is how they used to honor the Prophet والسلام, And this is how they used to listen uh, to him. Inshallah ta'ala, the time has finished. We'll stop there, inshallah ta'ala. I will take your questions. Bi-idhnillahi al-kareem. We should have read 35 lines. But inshallah ta'ala, tomorrow we'll go a bit faster. Bi-idhnillahi al-kareem. The book is 100 lines. And we have three days to finish it in. So inshallah ta'ala, tomorrow we will do Bi-idhnillahi al-kareem. The next... Uh, 35 or 40 lines we'll do it tomorrow inshallah ta'ala um barakallahu feekum for listening uh wa jazakumullahu khairan i'm going to now take your question and answers inshallah ta'ala